0: We have banners that hang in this sanctuary that indicates the vision of our church. Locally to globally, pursuing every heart with the love of Jesus. How do we do that? What's the mission of that? It's to be God's people, living in God's power, fulfilling God's purpose. As a result of when you begin to fulfill the vision that the Lord has for you and you live in the power that he has, things begin to take place because wherever something is alive and healthy, it grows. We have seen that within our congregation over the past number of years. Three years ago today, we launched a capital campaign that was titled, A Glorious Future. And it was there that we begin to share with you the fact that uh, we believe that God had directed us as a church to purchase 13 acres of land that is on the corner of McDonald and Ball Road, which is right across the street from the Onondaga Town Hall. And uh, so if you wanted to head up that way and take a look at this property, you can do so. God has allowed us each step of the way to do everything that we have done without any debt. We're grateful for all of that. And three years ago, we launched this capital campaign, which concludes for many of you today, three years. We also recognize that somewhere between 40 and 50 families have now called this church home over the last three years. In fact, I had a family last week that said, we didn't even know that you were planning on building a new building. I said, you will, uh, because this is not only the conclusion of one campaign, but it's the launch for those of you that have not had an opportunity, and you're going to be hearing a little bit more of that, and we'll be meeting with you as we get into the new year. Four years ago, on this particular Sunday, I had a chance to preach to you a message And in that message, it was about, I imagine. And I want to share with you four years ago what I wrote so that you can begin to see what God has accomplished in those four years. I wrote, I imagine Grace Assembly is a place where the love of God is expressed in a friendly handshake and a hug when you enter, a place where there's a sense of God's presence and anticipation as one is seated, that when we participate in worship, it is vibrant and God-honoring. I imagine grace assembly is a place where people enthusiastically join in unleashing praise from within and a life-giving response from our God who inhabits the praises of his people. I imagine a church where the congregants come and know that they will receive a fresh word from God presented from his word in a form that is relatable to their life and their learning style and presented in Pentecostal fervor. I imagine a church where the gifts of the Holy Spirit are functioning in scriptural guidelines and the church is gripped by the supernatural knowledge and power of God. I imagine a place where people respond weekly to find Jesus Christ as their Savior. I imagine altar workers willing to pray and believe for salvation, healing, and deliverance for those who respond to Jesus Christ. I imagine a church where our people are passionately in love with Jesus and that is demonstrated in the way that we treat one another. I imagine a congregation that is fluent in the gospel and are unafraid and unashamed to speak of their testimony in the marketplace. I imagine a church where every believer is spirit-filled, spirit-empowered, and spirit-led to participate in the last day's revival that is promised to us in Scripture. I imagine a church that joins forces with other churches who are followers of Jesus Christ and that in unity we are impacting the culture of our community by living out the good news in our marketplace. I imagine a church where every believer lives on mission. I imagine a church where we are so deeply in love with the Lord and each other that we actually do put others first and compassionately touch those who are hurting and hopeless. I imagine a children's ministry that reaches hundreds on a weekly basis. I imagine youth ministry that helps students navigate the turbulence of adolescence with biblical truth and in community. I imagine Just Friends ministry growing and reaching so many of our community's lonely and isolated seniors that the lower level of our church won't be able to hold them all. I imagine God birthing new ministries that we've not even thought of yet. I imagine a church where you don't just attend here, but that there is 100% participation as you find your place in the body of Christ. I imagine Grace Assembly as a constant, uh, in a constant state of growth because people are willing to invite their friends and their family and their neighbors knowing that they will meet God here. When I imagine what the people of Grace Assembly are known for in our community, I imagine you to be empowered, anointed, equipped, passionate, devoted, loving, courageous, compassionate, and Spirit-filled followers of Jesus Christ. And I want you to know that four years later as we look at this list, we are seeing the hand of God doing the very things that we have been dreaming of. And God is at work in this place, and He's not done yet. Three years ago, we launched into a campaign because we knew that we needed a new headquarters for ministry so that we could continue to fulfill the vision in a little broader of a place that has better parking, that has more rooms so that we can actually have people come in ways that we can touch our community in greater ways. Today, I would like to spend about the next 10 minutes And let you take a look at what our new facility is going to look like as we take a walk around the building and then in 3D walk through what Grace Assembly is going to look like. Join me as we take this trip. what do you think? Yes, we have a clean kitchen. Just, just wanted you to make sure you saw that in there. Uh, just a couple of things. I've already had people ask me after the first service, are those going to be the colors? Those are some, some artists' rendering. Some of the colors may change. We probably will have the same color seats as we have here. But it is... For those of, of you who are like me and are visual people, Being able to see it just makes the hair on my arm stand up as I begin to think about what God is going to do as we begin to uh, pursue uh, getting into the new facility. Three years ago, I preached a message that I'm going to preach again today because it's amazing how things mature and how time can bring about some clarity and at the same time, how we need to be reminded of some things that God has been up to and is doing within our life. I want to share with you just for a few minutes of a topic called the climb of faith, the climb of faith. As we talk about the climb of faith, I recognize that when Christ intersects your life in grace and you receive him as your Savior, the Scripture says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone and the new has come. In other words, there's an aspect of your life when Jesus Christ comes into you that removes your ability to sit back and say, I'm just going to play it safe. Because we have a dangerous God who sees things and knows things that we do not know. And I believe that as he takes up residence within us at salvation and creates this new person, that he activates a sense of spiritual adventure in each of our hearts and lives to pursue everything that he wants to do within us. And today, I want to take just a look a little bit back at a climb of faith that Abraham and Isaac had taken together. And if you have your Bibles, you can turn to Genesis chapter 22. And I'm going to read verses 1 through 14, and then we'll refer to that on more than one occasion through this message. But the Scripture said, "Sometime later, God tested Abraham. Have any of you ever been through a time where God tested you? If you've been saved longer than a week... You probably have. If it's just been a few days, congratulations, it's coming. And he said to Abraham, Abraham, here am I, he replied. Then God said, take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Early the next morning, Abraham got up, and he saddled his donkey, and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place that God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up, and he saw the place in the distance. He said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there, and we will worship, and then we will come back to you." When they reached the place God had told him about, Abraham built an altar there, and he arranged the wood on it, and he bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by the horns and he went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place, the Lord will provide and to this day it is said on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Father... Over these next few moments, as we celebrate the things that you have done and also look forward to the climb of faith that you are asking for us, I ask that your spirit would speak individually to each of us because our situations are not the same. Yet every one of us have been asked to take on this climb of faith. So Lord, reveal yourself to us in each and every situation so that we would know that you are an intensely personal God. And I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. The mountain that the Lord speaks of here is an indication that there is a mountain, and on this mountain is represented by two sides. There's two slopes to the mountain, and for those of you taking notes, I would like you to jot down that slope one is Abraham and Isaac's side of the mountain. The account of the sacrifice of Isaac is a dramatic, remarkable moment of crisis in Abraham's life. It's a story without precedent or parallel in the Old Testament. It's without precedent because God never had demanded a human sacrifice, and it's without parallel because no one else had ever been commanded to do it. But scripture, scripture clearly states that God tested Abraham, and he said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here am I, he replied, and then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah and sacrifice him. There is a burnt offering on the mountain I will tell you about. It would have been enough if God simply had told Abraham, I want you to take your son and make this climb. But instead, he begins to describe the relationship that Abraham has with Isaac in three ways. He said, number one, it's your only son. In other words, God knew what he was asking for. He said, it is the promised son, and his name is Isaac. So God knew it's the only son, it's the promised son. And then he said, and the relationship you have with him is I know that you love him. In other words, he's the greatest thing of value that you have in a relationship right now because he's been promised to you. And these words of God were meant to reassure Abraham that God knew what he was asking for. But when we look at this from our perspective, we begin to recognize that the promise and the command seemed to flatly contradict each other. Because if Abraham obeys the command, then doesn't that cancel the promise? If Abraham sacrifices Isaac, then what about all of the promise that was supposed to come through Isaac? But if he disobeys the command, then, the, uh, then the, the, uh, the consequences as it relates to that are something that he doesn't even want to explore. And so you have to imagine that in this test, Abraham is being asked and he begins to understand that there's heartache and brokenness and a lack of understanding. Have any of you ever been asked by God, by God to do something that you did not understand? It happens on a regular basis, and we try to negotiate with God, and we try to say, Lord, I don't know if you've considered this, but I have a side that I would like to put into this equation before you make any decisions. And we try to talk with God about these things. I also have to imagine that since Abraham was a married man, that conversation with Sarah could not have been pleasant. By the way, sweetheart, that promised son that we have that you gave birth to as an old woman... God wants him back. And here's how that's going to happen. I, I have to imagine that he dreaded that conversation with her. No imagination could reveal the turmoil in Abraham's heart as he began that journey. But he knew that God was testing both his character and his faith. Now, I don't know about you, but whenever I have something on my mind that's really weighing me down, I don't feel particularly conversational. For those of you that may be married, your spouse probably understands when you are quiet or when your mind is wandering off and they're saying, what's wrong with you? Because there's this nature that we carry that something looks different when something's on our heart. Can you imagine this journey with Isaac and Abraham? And he's going, Dad, what's up with you? I don't want to talk about it, son. In verse 5 of chapter 22, it says that He said to his servants when he reached the mountain, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy go over there and we will worship and we will come back to you. Now, I want you to focus for just a moment on this term worship. And in your notes, I'd like you to underline it or highlight it in your Bible because when we think about the term worship, understanding it in the context of this story, we see worship today differently than Abraham and Isaac saw then. Because they understood that to worship meant something was about to die. Sacrifice was about to take place. We are so far removed from that today that when we think of worship, when we write it down on the service plan, our worship includes music and celebration and prayer and joyfulness. That's not what worship would have meant to Abraham and to Isaac. It meant that something was going to die. Now, today we celebrate and worship because someone died for us to give us the reason that we can be joyful and be filled with gladness. So when Abraham said to his traveling party they were going to climb the mountain to worship, everybody understood that sacrifice and death were going to be a part of this. And the scripture tells us as they begin to climb that he carried two of the three elements that were needed. They had the wood and the fire. But in verse 7, Isaac brings this up, and he said, the wood and the fire are here. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answers in verse 8, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. It says that they continued on this climb of faith, until they reached the place that the sacrifice was to be made. And Abraham then built an altar, and he arranged the wood in such a way that it would be able to burn up the sacrifice. And it would catch fire easily when he put the matches to it. And then, you have to get this, because the Bible says then that Abraham binds Isaac's hands and feet and laid him on the altar... And he takes a knife and he raises it and is ready to make his own son. The son of promise, the son that was an answer to prayer, the miracle gift, that son. And he is ready to worship the Lord with the sacrifice of his son. Now, you need to know that Isaac is not a little boy right now. It's not like he just said, come here, son, and took this little boy and bound his feet. He's probably in his 30s. Isaac would have easily been over, uh, able to overwhelm his father, but it appears from Scripture that he did not even resist. And as we read this, I have to imagine that as Abraham is standing there with the knife in his hand, he's thinking in his mind, Why? Why, God? Have any of you ever asked God, Why? My hand's up twice because it's part of my regular dialogue. Why, God? What we begin to understand here as we travel through this account is that the gift that God had given had become more important to Abraham than the God that gave the gift. That his son had become more important to him than his God. Perfectly right and normal for a father to love his son, but the greatest commandment is this love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. And Abraham's son, the gift that God had given to him, had taken a place in his life that was beyond what it should have been. And God will never allow that to happen without whispering in your ear whatever it may be take your son, take your possessions, take your things the only things that I have given to you as a blessing and sacrifice it on an altar. And so, in this conflicting priorities, it gets so easy for us to become confused that the gifts and the possessions and the blessings that God gives to us are not more important than our relationship with Him is. That everything that He has given to us and everything that we say that we own is merely the blessing of the Lord and that he oftentimes says, I need you to put that back on the altar so that it can become a sacrifice. I believe that God will always challenge you when he begins to sense that possessions and money and people take a greater place in your heart than he does. And as Abraham raised the knife, and from his perspective, it looked as if hope was just about gone. God was ready to intervene, I want to pause here for just a second and let me ask you a question that only you can answer. Have you ever felt this way? Have you ever been to the place where you felt in your life? It seems as if all hope is gone. God may be asking me to obey in a way that makes no sense to me and I'm trying to do something that I do not understand, Lord. Why? It seems as if hope is gone. But when you come to these moments, it might very well be that the Lord is trying to test you of who do you love more and what do you love more? Maybe it's about your marriage and you've tried so hard. Maybe it's about your physical body and the way that you're feeling or the illness that you may be and you've, you've worked so hard at this. Maybe it's that spiritually you have lost family members and you've been praying for them and you've prayed so hard. Maybe financially you're in a situation where every time it looks as if you're just about to make a breakthrough and get out of trouble, something else breaks down and you feel as if you've lost the ability to get through it again. But maybe today you're sitting here today and you're feeling just about like hope is just about gone. I want to tell you something don't lose faith. Don't lose faith. In that moment, when you feel about hope is just about gone, I want you to dare to imagine that God is up to something on your behalf and that he said that he would never leave you and that he would never forsake you. And he said, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And here's what you need to remember. If he has asked you to climb up one side of the mountain in faith, you don't know what he's doing on the other side of the mountain. There is another side of your mountain that you are climbing that you cannot see, and you do not know what God is up to, but God is doing something on the other side, waiting for you to collide with his provision. You see, the other side of the slope is God's side of the slope. How many of you know that As God was calling Abraham to come up one side of the mountain, he was also calling a ram to climb up the other side that they didn't know anything about. And as they're walking, every time he takes a few steps, the ram takes a few steps. And as they're getting closer and closer, they were about to come in contact with the provision of the Lord because they had made the climb of faith and were faithful in it. Don't let this image leave your mind. In fact, I'd like you to think for a moment of of making a mountain and you believe that I'm climbing up this side and on this side is the provision of the Lord and he's working to come to a place where your obedience will bring the blessing of the Lord because there's about to be an explosion of faith. You see, Abraham's obedience collides with God's provision When you are climbing the mountain of faith, when you're in the middle of a testing time and you're walking in obedience, you will always intersect God's provision. And let me stress this point. Abraham did not know what was going on on the other side of the mountain. Abraham could not say to his son Isaac, don't worry, son. I know right now that we are in verses 6 and 7, but I already know what verse 13 is. And when we get to the top, God's got this all worked out for us. I wish God would tell us what verse 13 was when we're walking. But it didn't work that way. Abraham no, had no idea that verse 13 existed at that moment because he could not see both sides. He just knew that he had to keep climbing by faith because God was doing something and he would run into it because only God can see both sides of the mountain. What if Abraham had stopped climbing? What if he had gotten to a point where he said, in my decision-making process, I don't know what it is you're doing, God, and so I'm just going to stop here until you reveal yourself. I'm going to stop here until you tell me what's going on. I want you to know that's me. I do that with God often. I'm saying, Lord, you know I'm a bottom-line person. If you can just tell me how the story's going to end, man, I will race to the finish line with you. I will glorify your name. We're going to give you all the glory, but don't let me look like a fool in the middle of this process. If we could just do this together, God, and and in the middle of all of that, there's this sliver of selfishness, and God says, That's just not the way I work. You have to keep climbing your side of the mountain in faith. And when you reach the top in obedience, you'll discover, I got there first. You see, if they'd stopped climbing, there'd have been no supernatural intersection of Abraham's obedience and God's blessing. There would have been no daring faith. There would have been no studying this story today. Abraham and Isaac started to climb, not knowing what would happen if they stopped, because if they had, nothing else would have happened. And it's caused me to wonder in our lives, how many times have we stopped climbing and missed out on something because God said, I need you to finish this climb in faith so that you can run in in partnership to my provision. You see, I believe that God wants you to do something significant. I believe that He wants you in a divine partnership to give something, but you have stopped because you want, I don't know how this is going to end. And maybe in your life, you've stopped a month too short. Maybe you stopped a week short or a day short or an hour or even a minute short of intersecting God's miraculous provision and the resources that he was bringing up the other side of the mountain of your life, just asking you to be obedient. And I wonder what the reaction of heaven is When the angels from the heavenly view can see things that we can't see and has the view of God and they're going, don't stop now! There's a ram climbing the other side. When you get to the top, God's going to be there. You're going to rejoice in what He's doing. It looks like a test now. But God has already provided the answer. Don't stop climbing the mountain of your faith now. You're almost to verse 13. You see, being created for a climb of faith means following obediently even before the provision is seen. We're living in a very difficult time. I've had a number of people say to me, why in the world are you doing this now? Don't you know that's been two years of COVID and that there are 1,700 pastors a month that are leaving the ministry and and churches that are closing? I want you to know something. God doesn't always work according to the economy the way that we see things. When we see gloom and doom, God sees opportunities. He sees things that if you just keep climbing, you're gonna run into provision because I've got something coming up the other side and I just need you to walk in obedience. Grace Assembly, I believe with all of my heart that God still meets obedient people at the top of the mountain when you keep climbing by faith. And in the middle of all of this, when we're going, why, Lord? This doesn't make sense. I don't understand all of this. He says, I gave you a vision, and I gave you a mission. And in order for you to completely do everything I desire of you, I need you to climb a mountain that doesn't make any sense right now and I need you to get to the top of it. And I need you to join arm in arm with the congregation as we walk this mountain because when we get to the top, there's going to be a shout that's going to be heard all over this city Amen. because of the provision of the Lord. There are tens of thousands of people that we surround that do not yet have faith in Jesus Christ. There are missionaries that are going up throughout the world that we have yet to support, to put the fingerprint of Grace Assembly on their ministry that we need to. We need classes that we can reach our college students. We need room to do all of this. And the Lord said, this is where I am leading you to do it in. So climb the mountain of faith. I can tell you this. After three years of this capital campaign, With the equity that we have in this building and the cash that you have given, we are debt-free up to this point. We haven't had one penny of debt, and we have about 20% of what we need to build that new building. We're climbing the mountain of faith. We're believing God together. And so for those of you that have been participating for the last three years, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for trusting God. And for those of you that have joined our congregation, and there are a number of you in the last three years... I had somebody in the first service say, I didn't even know that you were planning this. I said, you've only been here a few months, but you're going to hear a lot more about it. Because the Lord has told us this. As a leadership team and as a board of deacons and pastoral staff, He says, you take care of the people. I'll take care of the building. You take care of the people. I'll take care of the building. Worship team, would you please come? And herein lies the lesson for all of us. When God makes a promise... Don't waste time arguing, or wondering, or disbelieving that he is capable of keeping his word. Because faith does not reckon with the how. Faith believes and leaves the how in the hands of a God who's bringing provision up the other side of the mountain.